Hi, everyone, and welcome to the special simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Greg, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing amazing. How are you doing, Neil? Can't wait to talk to Cash Flow. That's right. And Cash Flow, you know, he broke into the business about the same time I was. And, you know, I've been retired, but I'm going to maybe, you never know, get back in the ring. But Cash Flow, again, everyone knows him from Netflix Wrestlers, which I watched the entire documentary series and it was unbelievable and uh cash kind of talk to us let's jump right into the specifically enough your wrestling career but we'll get to wrestlers later um why did you want to be a professional wrestler what was that thing that told you because I, I have my story as well i was kind of recruited to be one being a legitimate 610 but kind of tell me you know how that happened pro wrestling was a mainstay in my house as a kid i grew up watching it i grew up with grandparents um Wahoo and Manny going at it. And that stuff is real. That is something that I want to do. And it started as soon as I got out of high school. I went to a wrestling school and I hit the ground running. It's just something that I've always wanted to do. Wow. Who who were your favorite wrestlers when you were growing up as a kid? Uh, the Wahoo, Wahoo McDaniel, Manny Fernandez, Dusty Rhodes. Those are the guys that really Ric Flair. Those are the guys that really got me watching. Of course, I went back to you know Bruiser Brody and Stan Hansen. There was nothing like watching a crowd part like the Red Sea when Bruiser Brody would come through. I mean, it was just <laughs> it, some, that stuff was amazing. Of course, I was a Crockett guy. I was a Southern wrestling guy coming up. I didn't really you know do a whole lot of uh, of the Northern wrestling. That wasn't until later, until you know the Monday Night Wars and stuff like that started. So. You know, it's interesting, Cashflow. The first show I was on was with Wahoo McDaniel. I didn't wrestle him, but I was on the same show with him. First That's show. Amazing. That is amazing. It was in Parkersburg, West Virginia at some uh, cowboy. I remember, forgot who I re- wrestled for. It wasn't Arpin. It was another promoter out there. And uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so I'm, many I'm envious, Neil. I'm envious. And you're envious. Well, you know, so kind of breaking down, who trained you as a professional wrestler? Who did you get trained uh, by? I broke in the business at IWA Mid-South in the mid-90s. Ian Wright and Tramey, but, you know, I can't really say that. There was there was a lot of guys come through, guys like, like Bull Payne, Tracy Smothers, you know, Doug Gilbert. You know, a lot of those guys had a hand. Madman Pondo, a lot of those guys had a hand in, in bringing me into professional wrestling. I can't really corner down just one of them because I've learned so much from every single one of those guys that come through. Well, you know, Cashflow, what's what's like the most exciting thing for you when you're doing a show, when you're out there in the ring? What's what's like? Tell me about that. What's that like? Uh, the crowd reaction is is off the chain. You know, that's really why we do any of that. Of course, you know, money is good. We like to make money. Yeah. But the the crowd reaction is is really what you want. You know, the ability to to tell a story and actually feel those emotions in those stories. Those are the greatest feelings in the world. You know, there's nothing like it. You know, I always said professional wrestling and adrenaline is probably the best and the worst drug in the world. You know, it it can do irreparable harm at the same time. It can, it can have you feeling like you're on cloud nine. It's, it's, it's something else. You know, behind the scenes of professional wrestling, that's a great point you made cash is that, you know, the everything, all the politics before the match, but once you get into the match, it's worth it all. But it's not worth all the other stuff. 
he is you see you know from you know tearing down rings to being you know worrying if you're going to get, get paid if you're going to be able to sleep the next day all these things is independent wrestling and i think that that's the thing it's interesting you talked about bullpen worked with bull out and burt with burt prentice uh you know uh you know i was with doug when i did uswa you yeah. ran in all these guys and you just understood this business but the thing is it was breaking in and the business changed so much like i started in in back in 19 93 so i missed out if i would have broken in 88 i don't know where i would have been because there was not many people even got the opportunity then school started charlie fulton's who trained me i got trained by my iron mike sharp as well so i understood this so the thing is it's about hustling when you are in the business you work again for ian but then you got to figure out where else am i going to work how am i going to learn this business because you just were thrown to the wolves. And that's how the business was at that time. It's, you know, especially being a hardcore wrestler when you started, because I remember watching that. So when he kind of just said, you know, the hardcore is cool, but I want to learn more and more about wrestling and, and learn from other guys. It's just basically figuring it all out, right? Uh, it's it, it basically figuring it all out. You know, hardcore wrestling is is kind of a niche product of professional wrestling. This, the, the principle still applies, it's it's basically the same thing. You're just using you know different different tactics and different gimmicks to garner those that emotional response. You know, and don't get me wrong. You know, I I honestly don't believe professional wrestling has changed not one bit. You, the only thing that's really changed is society around it. So you know, more people. You know, the people are different that are watching it. Therefore, you have to kind of evolve when it comes to that. You know, they're they're still you know the predetermined finish and 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 all that stuff you know the crowd emotions are the same the guys that get over are the guys that are the best storytellers you know it, to me the principle of pro wrestling has changed it's just the people that are watching it have changed a bit so you kind of have to go with the flow a little bit got it what what are a couple of your favorite uh, matches or shows that you've done like who is it against and you know what was it like and tell me tell me about those uh I well one of one of my favorites like off the top of my head I the most recent one was probably doing a tag match against Al Snow up in Wisconsin you know that was amazing you know that was you know one of those bucket list things that you have you know you 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 become a fan of somebody and then when you finally get the opportunity of getting the ring I've actually been fortunate to have a lot of those you know be in the ring with a lot of the guys that that I kind of idolized coming up being a southern wrestling guy like like Dundee and Lawler and Dutch Mantell and Jeff Jarrett, you know, guys like that, Al Snow, um, you know, that that's one of the most recent ones. One of the older ones, you know, shortly before Tracy Smothers passed, I got the opportunity to be in the ring with him about a year, year and a half before he ended up passing. And, you know, I hold that one pretty dear to my heart. It's on my YouTube, my YouTube channel. So, you know, some, you know, some of the older ones, <laughs> You know, I've had I've had a lengthy career. You know, I don't remember a whole lot. I have to go back and look at some of my stuff. <laughs> but you know, some of those are the ones that kind of stick in my head. Yeah, and it's amazing when you get in the ring with Lawler or Bill Dundee, what you learn and Al Snow. Yeah, you know, absolutely. it's like you take two matches with Jerry the King Lawler, which I got to wrestle him, I think three or four times. Uh, on top, I wrestled in the Mid South Coliseum for the title, but wrestling it was so easy. But he taught you so much about the showmanship in a match. Same with Bill Dundee. I traveled the road with Bill, and I and I learned these things. And this is what this Netflix wrestlers documentary shows. It shows a lot of these independent wrestlers 
what it means to be in a territory. It was interesting. I mentioned that before you guys have built something. It's like a territory, but also like a big organization where you're doing the TV weekly. You're doing all the stuff I did with Burt Prentice and Ozark Mountain Wrestling and North American All-Star Wrestling and PWX. And just we're doing the weekly TV. You're doing all these different things it really helps and i think you really shape to understand guys that are looking to break into wrestling with wrestlers once you first heard about doing a documentary what were your thoughts i mean a series like netflix i mean that that was a game changer wasn't it it was a game changer but you know i'm an old school type of guy so you know it made me a bit nervous you know because i i kind of had a feeling what we were going to have to put out there for it to really succeed and I was apprehensible at first, you know, my family was apprehensible at first, but you know, we, we, we just, we just decided one day, Hey, let's do it. Let's put it out there. Let's see where it goes. You know, what's the worst that could happen? You know, that was kind of what was going on in our head. Luckily the, 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 the crew, the producers and the director, they were so easy to, to be around and, you know, it, it made it very easy to do that. But at first I was, me and my family, we were a bit apprehensive, you know, apprehensive about about doing it, but they made it easy to do it. And and I'm actually glad they told the story the way that they told it. You know, I, I wanted uh, you know, I wanted it to portray positivity and and you know, quit with the the bad stuff, the negative energy that's surrounded professional wrestling for so long. You know, I wanted I wanted something to be positive, and and I, I think the the crew, the BBC crew, and and the director Greg Whiteley, I think they hit the nail on the head with that Neil. Oh, they did. It was amazing, and the I guess the ratings were through this roof uh, for sure. Greg basically did follow all these independent wrestlers for this organization called Ohio Valley Championship Wrestling or OVW, and it basically taught specifically they're one of the only organizations that does live TV and pay per views. There's only four organizations. We didn't mention the one in the documentary, which I won't. But there's only really four pro wrestling organization in the United States that offer this type of an opportunity and these guys work a lot of nights like i did when i worked down south which is unheard of but it followed those wrestlers and the challenges they had to go through and also the business side of it greg the business side of it was probably the most in experience because they had people who were backing al snow's organization money backers and you had to go and see about how it was all about making money at the end of the day not putting on just a great show Gotcha. Gotcha. So you're saying there's different organizations. Like, I mean, back, I remember as a kid, you know, like Hulk Hogan, you know, McMahon, that group and all that, that's different than like the Ohio Valley. And so. Explain how it is still almost the same in a way with the, there's no regionals, but really they're one of the big three or four, right? Yeah. yeah well, we are, you know, we're, there's just there's more money and more longevity behind uh, guys like Vince McMahon, WWE, and and stuff like that. There's just more money behind. We are really the the grassroots of of what Vince McMahon and those guys are. This is where guys go to cut their teeth in that particular business model when it comes to doing live TV, territory type uh, professional wrestling shows. This is where you're really taught the business to get to the next level of, of professional wrestling, which is, you know, like, like WWE and, and, you know, where the big money is. So. Gotcha. And then they get, if they get discovered, you get over and cash, it's changed in a lot of ways where 
you get signed, it's basically your popularity, especially AEW. AEW signs people based on how they got over in the independence. That's what makes AEW different than WWE, in my absolutely. opinion. No, you're absolutely right. And now you have more platforms as a young up-and-comer. You know, with social media in the mix, you can you can make yourself a, a star before they would even look at you, but you would still have an opportunity to get there if if your star is shines bright enough. You know, it's 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 a pretty amazing time. It's a pretty amazing time in professional wrestling right now. Wow. So is it, so you're saying like, start off like where you are, maybe a, even a different league. And then if you wanted to get notoriety and, you know, become more famous and kind of work up towards, like, it seems like some of these people like Dwayne Johnson, like the rock, you know, went to Hollywood after a while. And so that's kind of more of a path to stardom as opposed to sport and, and show is it, it, it's definitely a, a, a slingshot to other platforms that that can use your star your star power yeah. um, a, a lot of the guys that do make it big tend to i mean that seems to be these days to be a natural evolution of, of a professional wrestler to you get at a certain age where you know getting bumped around and getting thrown around is has become too tough on you you know you they the, you take that star power you go to a production company or you start, you know, uh, filling out some acting gigs and, and they start hiring you just because you're known, they put your name on that screen. It's going to draw viewers. It's the yeah. same principle, just maybe a, a, a different process, you know, gotcha. being on television when I was working down South for Burt Prentice and Ozark mountain, where I got discovered at the grocery stores and during different things, you got to see that in OVW. But once you went on Netflix, life changed, right? People really saw your story. Greg, they went into his house. They went into his family. They documented <laughs> wow. everything. Yeah, they went after every little thing about him. Even the breakdown of the business and how long he's been, showed films. It was just such a great document. It was such yeah, a great I hold, Neil, I had to hold my wife back a couple of times because she would be cooking supper, have supper halfway done, and they would come barging in with three truckfuls of camera keep us from eating supper, wanting to, wanting to do interviews and stuff in the middle of supper time. So, you know, it, they, it, it, it was pretty intrusive, but you know, I think we've talked, me and my wife have talked it out. It's, it's definitely been worth it. It's been worth it. It's the notoriety is, is, is out the roof right now. So, so how much do you get recognized now? Uh, everywhere I go, it's <laughs> everywhere I go, you know, especially, you know, around my neighborhood, like I'd be walking the dog down the street and people will drive by hollering at me, screaming out the windows. Hey, 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 Cash, what are you doing? So it, it, it's it's something else. It's a sight to be seen. Grocery shopping's fun these days. <laughs> Having to sign a lot of autographs, that's for sure. A lot of autographs, taking a lot of pictures inside the grocery store, yeah. A lot it's, of selfies. Hey, can I get a selfie? Yeah, a lot of selfies. <laughs> uh, how, how did that even come about? I mean, did, did Netflix just decide to do it and just sought you guys out or how? I don't, I honestly, Greg, I don't know the gist of, of how it got worked out. All of a sudden, you know, uh, the owners of OVW reached out to me and said, would you be interested in doing this? Um, you know, can you do, it was a couple years ago. Can you do this zoom meeting with, with this production crew that has an idea of something that they want to do? Well, that's where it started. I had my Zoom meeting with uh, BBC Studios, and and you know those guys are amazing, by the way. And it that's that's where it started, and they it got put together, and it got sold, and here we are. Now cool. let's talk. So I was reading about it. I didn't know Last Chance you as the same producers. Is that true? 
that were last same director. Same director. I, I don't know if it's produced by the same company, but it is the same director, Greg Whiteley. Yeah, he's he's Emmy Award winning guy. Last Chance You, I've always been a fan of, and I ended up interviewing one of them that, that ended up being in Podcast Magazine, and then I finally watched the series. His one, it was the one in Kansas, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that was a person. So your characters are really real life, and I think it. It, in so many ways, it, it, it's so interesting. Now, Greg, I'll throw one more question at him, and then we'll kind of go if any other yeah, questions. Yeah, go have. for it. But but because like, I'm just it intrigues me because again, the business in, in so many ways. Now, looking back at the Attitude Era to today, what do you think? Do you think we're going back? Do you think guys are that? I see a lot of guys taking tons of bumps, but other people are telling stories, and you guys are more storytelling. As I remember when I interviewed Al a couple years ago with uh, Jim Miller and Aaron Lester. And I got to go back and find that and re-air it now uh, again, because uh, I have that footage somewhere. What do, you, what do you think of this business? Do you think we're going to go back to stories? Do you think we're going in a cyclical, historical way of wrestling and we're going to go back to wrestling as uh, it was? Of course. Uh, of course. I, you know, it, it all comes in cycles. You know, at one point, taking all these bumps and all the aerial stuff was something new and fresh and different. That's why it was good, Okay. You know, before that, it was straight storytelling, straight on, and that was the thing that wrestling is. Well, if if you bring that back out to the forefront now, what's old is new again. So it, it, it's it's all cycles. It all comes in cycles, and I think that's where we're going. I think that's why OVW excels right now because because of uh, the office and and the stories that they try to to tell, and you know the way they get the the guys, the the employee, the the workers on board with it. You know, it, it, it ultimately it comes down to the guys that are telling the stories for, you know, Al and, and the office. And, you know, I believe those guys are are stepping up to the plate and Al's giving them the ball and we're starting to run with it. You know, and it's doing really well. You know, we're we're working on our eighth consecutive, ninth consecutive show that we've been sold out you know, as far as in the arena and stuff like that. So it's, it's doing really well. And yeah, I do believe it comes in cycles, Neil. I do. I hope so because that's what is brings the families and that brings it where there's a real story and you get the good versus evil, you know, the, the bad guy, the heel versus baby faces. You were such a Southern fan. I got yeah. to live it working, you know, with and in, in, in a program with Dundee, a program with Lawler, a program with uh, with uh, I did a lot with um, Colorado Kid. I don't even know where the heck he's at, you know. Yeah, but you remember watching all that stuff when you were. Uh, well, I knew I knew Colorado Kid. I worked for Burt a little bit too down there. You probably wasn't around, but I I did my rounds in Tennessee. I worked for Burt Prentice. I worked for a guy named Mike Porter down there when they were doing. You know, they had. Oh, so when Burt was doing Nashville, I came back to Northeast, and that's oh, when yeah. I was working with Rhino and all that. So we did not cross paths, but. Maybe we will. You right? never know. You, know. you never know. I'm just going to go cool. right now. You never know about a comeback. And Greg's like, please don't let that happen. Okay, so <laughs> Greg, I'm going to go ahead. Say, be safe, Neil. Be safe. But when you see guys working like Flair, again, another match, and guys working in their 60s, it's if we don't take those bumps, we'll be okay. But yeah. if we're, we're above those hardcore matches, we I've been there, done it for sure. I got to connect you to my concussion guy and that's something i wanted to talk to you about uh, uh dr charles simkovich who's the the guru that's finally figuring out a reserves 
reverse concussion, CTE, all that stuff. But Greg, yeah. I'm going to have you ask the question to Cash that you ask every celebrity, and I might have one more question for Cash after that. Go ahead, Greg. Uh, that sounds great. So Cash, you know, uh, I love to learn from people, especially successful people like yourself. What? And I know the people that listen to our show do as well. So tell me, um, what do you think the most important thing you've ever learned in life is? The most important thing that I have ever learned in life find you need a support system. Uh, Rome wasn't built by a single person. It takes a group. And in this instance, you know, my family's support, um, you need a good support system behind you. And, and I attribute that to anything. If you're running a wrestling program, you need a support system. You can't do everything it needs. It takes a good team in life. It takes a good team to, to get where you want to get. If you don't have a support system, don't be afraid to reach out and find a support system because there is somebody or some people out there for everyone. A support system is, is crucial to live in life to the fullest. Cool. That's a fantastic. Oh man, that's that's a let's go. Well, Cash, now you know what? I'm still in pretty good shape at 50 years old. I think I could I could wrestle you. I think I could, I mean again, you didn't you were afraid to cross paths with me. That's why when I went to the Northeast South and yeah, you're afraid of a six yeah, yeah, you were. So what would happen if we end up having a match sometime? And these promoters out in the Northeast, they can make it happen. Uh, again, OVW can make it happen. Again, when I put my boots on, I'm a legitimate seven feet tall. I have some big wins. You know, I was PWI 500. You know, you're you're a superstar. Someday, hey, if I, win, I think my experience level, I think I could, I could take you if I get back in shape. Hey, there is nothing to it but to do it. There is nothing to it but to do it. We can talk all day long. I've been in PWI. I was in PWI at 321 this year. All right. And the age, there's not much of an age difference there between us, Neil, whether you whether you think so or not. No, I know. I have a feeling I know that. Okay. I'm not I'm not seven foot tall, but you know, I'm I'm a pretty hefty guy. I'm I'm kind of wide. So Okay, know, so what are you weighing right now? I'm weighing in about 280 something. I'm I'm six four, I weigh three twenty. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, you never know. We'll, we'll, I got to get in shape and then we'll make this happen, but we're definitely going to stay connected with all the different things and we appreciate and make sure more OVW wrestlers can come on. And I, I just, but what is this happening? I hope they don't do it like last chance you, you guys need to have this continue the story in my opinion, and not they go and pick another organization like they did with last chance you people I, love I the story. I would agree totally, Neil. I, I I think those guys, you know, I don't think the story is completely told. I don't think no. the W story is completely told. And I would love, I would love for those guys to pick it back up and and give the fans because that really that's all we're hearing a lot of those rumblings about it. You know, we would love for the fans to 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 actually hear the the complete story. Yeah, and that's it because the story was not completely told. It was told then. But then the final story. So again, people can check it out. Netflix wrestlers and where can we find information on you social media wise and stuff? Where can we go? Hey, social media. All my social media wise, uh, Neil is at Cashflow Wrestler. That's my my Instagram, my Twitter, my Threads, my Facebook. Uh, if 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 any of you guys out there, any of your listeners is looking for any good cash flow merch, you can go to www.chopshopwrestling.com. 
You'll find all my swag on there. You can find me on Cameo if you need a shout out, a birthday shout out or whatever. Um, you know, that's that's pretty much it. All right. We appreciate right. it, Cash. Thanks again, man. All right. That Thanks, was the simulcast of the Neil Haley Show and Celebrity Interviews Live from the Grotto with Greg Hanna. Guys, take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Mike Bellardi Show. I'm excited to welcome the program. Mike Bellardi. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm wonderful. How about yourself? Fantastic. So, Mike, who's our guest today? Mike Gogger. He's running for sheriff. We're trying to get him over the line. He's a great guy, would great do a great job, and we want to help him out by giving him some airtime. So tell us a little bit about why you should become sheriff, sir. Well, I, I've had decades full of experience. I have a history of uh, all kinds of awards uh, for my work as a law enforcement officer, both for uh, uh, arrests and clear cleaning up neighborhoods, for uh, innovative programs that I brought in to, uh, to helping neighborhoods recover and uh, uh, kids uh, uh, getting away from drugs. Uh, you, you name it, I've done it. So, And uh, I have decades full of uh, administrative experience as well. Wow, that's, that's impressive. Uh, the, the, have you ever run for sheriff before, sir? No. I, I've always been, for the last, uh, for 16 years, I was the number two guy at an agency with an $800 million budget and uh, 4,400 employees. Wow. Tell us about that experience. How, how does that experience bring to you to be ready to be sheriff? Well, I, I think all my experience, not only in law enforcement, but my service to the community and all the different programs that I have chaired, uh, you know, from uh, chairman of the hospital board to chairman of uh, the uh, recovery programs to to chair of the Southeast Florida Behavioral Health Network, the funding agency that provides money for all mental health and recovery services in a five-county area. Uh, you name it, I've done it. So. So, so when you've been working, so you've been working in the private sector after you were in law enforcement years before. Is that correct, sir? Or am I trying to? Yes, I, I retired for the second time in February of 2021. I opened up a consulting business uh, that's been quite successful, keeping me very busy. But at the same time, I was offered a position with one of the largest law firms in the southeastern United States, Circe uh, Denny, Scarola, Barnhart, and Shipley. And uh, they came to me and asked me to join their firm. Uh, because of all the other things I was doing, I said I couldn't do it full time. But they offered me a part time position. And I, I work with Cersei Denny now part time as a senior paralegal slash investigator. Okay, interesting. Uh, when you think about your days in law enforcement, what makes you so prepared for this opportunity? Uh, I, I think my history. I, I mean, when you look at uh, and people that I have worked for, supervisors, said I was way ahead of my time. I developed innovative programs that I had to fight to get in place. Uh, I brought community policing to Palm Beach County. Uh, I was uh, sent to a uh, training school uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, on community policing, ethics and integrity, partnershiping, uh, all the things that are necessary to, to rebuild neighborhoods and be a success. So I came back to South Florida, and not only did I implement it at the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office, 
but then I went to other police departments and trained them on how to be successful in community policing. All right. So basically, if I'm understanding this in, in so many ways, sir, um, that all these innovative things are needed. Why are you needed so much for Palm Beach County right now? And that's why you're coming out of retirement in a way to run. Well, many of the programs that I initiated are now being or, or were displaced by the current sheriff, um, who does not have the same spirit of, of community that I have. Uh, I, I, I was uh, I, I took the worst housing projects in the county turn them around, uh, reducing crime by 85 to 90 percent. In fact, uh, we were so successful in all of these sites that the inspector general from HUD, Housing and Urban Development, came down here from Washington, D.C., toured the sites and came back a, a month or so later and gave us an award for uh, the innovative program, said he had never seen housing projects and uh, authorities as nice as what he saw in Palm Beach County. And that wasn't how it was when we started. No, that's that's so uh, important, sir, that uh, that you see these projects, these programs gone after they worked so well. You think it's politically they're pushed towards not doing those? Is it a Democrat who is holding the, the, this position right now, the sheriff? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And, you know, we worked together. We had known each other for like five decades, but uh, he uh, worked at the city of West Palm Beach. I started about the same time at the county. Uh, you know, we, we did things together on occasion, uh, operations together. Uh, he retired about the same time I did in 2004. And then uh, we both were on for sheriff. And uh, you know, he came to me and said, look, let, let's do this together. But I have to be the sheriff because I was a chief. And I said, well, you were, you know, you were a chief of municipality, but I was the major of all investigative services for a very large agency. So, but, but we, we worked it out and I said, okay, because I wanted to keep community policing and all those other programs that I started together and in the neighborhoods because we had been so successful with it. Uh, 27 different sites throughout the county. And uh, he agreed. Yeah. So, and, you know, it started out great. But then over a series of uh, four years, eight years, 12 years, he started to dwindle them down and, and, and take away some of the, 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 uh, the ability, the community policing officers to do as well as they, they had been doing. So, um, Finally, uh, you know, it just got to the point where, you know, I, I couldn't agree with what he was doing. Exactly. And, and, and some of the accountability that uh, the lack of accountability, I should say. And, and we had some some heavy arguments over stuff like that. And I saw him migrate to a couple guys that that never challenged him or, or never questioned his decisions. And, and I did that a lot. Uh, he closed down a program called the Drug Farm. It was an internationally recognized program, a tremendous success of taking inmates, putting them through a program and getting them straight and sober. I, I, I you know, I have a master's in social work and, and I believe, you know, I'll, I'll put you in jail in a New York second. And I did with thousands of people over 50 years. But I have to tell you, 
if I can keep get you straight and sober, that means you're not going to be in my jail and cost me a minimum of $25,000 a year if you're healthy. Now, let's go between Democrat sheriff and a Republican sheriff. Again, I guess with the whole, you know, uh, some of the policing ideas of defund the police, all these different things. Palm Beach County needs somebody else stronger involved, right? What have you seen changes in Palm Beach County crime-wise under this sheriff that you can kind of fix things if you become sheriff? Well, some of those neighborhoods where we had community policing, they're not doing it the same way. Uh, currently, in fact, there was a newspaper article yesterday and the sheriff says, oh, I'm working in the community. I have deputies handing out food. Well, you know, handing out food in a grocery line is not community policing. You know, uh, somebody drives up in a car, you hand them a bag of groceries. That's not community policing. Community policing is, is getting guys into a neighborhood and getting guys and gals that are officers into a neighborhood, working with the people, empowering the people, educating them what they need to do to help themselves and um, and, and work as a team. It, it's, it's a partnership. And not only with the residents, but, you know, we, we did a huge apartment complexes. I, I, I formed a program for landlords because we found out that landlords who were doing Section 8 would, would, would have a problem tenant. Well, they would leave them and then go down the street and, and go to another landlord. So I started having landlords meet uh, once a month, uh, sometimes every other month, and have a breakfast together, and they would share information. And that was tremendously successful. I'd started programs working with county programs, you know, with, with the different divisions in the county, uh, code enforcement, building, wow. uh, mm -hmm. planning. They were building projects that were designed to fail. Uh, they, they were building these huge uh, low-income apartment complexes with a subsidized rent and then providing, they're, they're required to provide recreation. What they build was cheapest for them. They built one town. That doesn't work. You know, that's the most you can get. So, so you know, we, we started working with them and changing some of the plans that they had, uh, egress, ingress to those developments. Uh, but we had, in fact, a lot of the work that we did uh, was a, the county got awards for. And we were, we were the impetus behind getting to do these things we went in the neighborhoods uh, uh you, you know we found out that they had no neighborhood parks no so yeah. i went in and advocated for the neighborhood park you know not not a regional park we have beautiful regional parks seven miles ten miles apart this one these are little neighborhood parks in some of the most neediest of the neighborhoods where kids can go and keep busy and and and, and have recreation well they didn't want it they thought it would be a terrible thing I went before the commission. The guy who was the chair questioned me, and I was a lieutenant at the time. I said, Lieutenant Gauger, do you know how much it costs to maintain that park? And I said, you know what, sir? No, that's the only thing I didn't calculate. Oh, he wow. said, how? he said, I thought for a minute, he said, that'll be $12,500. And I thought, and I, I said, I said, Mr. Chairman, I think I can save some money for the county and he kind of chuckled he leaned forward and he said well how are you going to do that lieutenant and i said if you build me that park i'll keep one of those kids from that neighborhood out of jail for the year and that's twenty five thousand dollars wow and you, 
the audience started clapping. <laughs> and, and the, the arts director looked at one of the at the chairman and, and it was like, oh, whoops, whoops. And the and the county commission voted for that first park. Okay. It turned yeah. part success that now we have 30 neighborhood parks. So Mike, what are your thoughts when you're hearing all this about sheriffs and how important a sheriff is to keep people, the community safe? Well, obviously they're very important. They're the key to keeping the community safe. And I think Mike has the experience. I think he has the programs. I think he knows what he's doing and he should be the next sheriff of Palm Beach County. And that's why he's on today's show. And that's, that's fantastic. Um, What do you think, what is your biggest challenges going into the election? Well, I think, uh, well, I, I have a Republican opponent. He ran last time and didn't do that well. And, you know, he, he, he claims that he's a law and order guy. But when you look at his history and you go to the clerk's office and pull up the arrests that he made, no, you don't see it. He's, he's had some issues at different places he worked. Um, you know, he, he said in a meeting Monday night, he said, uh, community policing doesn't work. Social programs don't work. Uh, he, he thinks you just arrest people, put them in jail. You know, I, I call it the nail and jail them, hook them and book them. But you know what? You can run. And, and, and that's one of the things they've done at the current administration. They've got all kinds of task forces and street crime units and tactical units. That doesn't solve anything, guys. You run into a neighborhood, you throw people down, you kick in some doors, you put some people in jail, and then you leave that neighborhood. Well, sadly, within a day or two, they're all back out of jail. And where do they go? Back to the neighborhood, doing the same thing. It's community policing. When you work with the residents and the people in those neighborhoods and you stay on top of it, that that's what makes a difference. I brought in after school programs. We had we had volunteers come in and, and do tutoring of kids. We brought in athletic programs. You know, I even brought in in one neighborhood, uh, the drug dealers had been getting young girls pregnant, 14, 15 years of age. I brought in Planned Parenthood to meet with the mothers and, and the daughters. Uh, you know, try to break the cycle of, of poverty and, and, and living on welfare, uh, getting kids in school, keeping them in school, you know, doing the right things, keeping kids busy. Um, we, we developed four boxing programs throughout the county in the toughest neighborhoods. Those kids loved it and, it and it turned their lives around because not only did we keep them busy after school, but they have to maintain certain grades. So the coaches would even work with them with their school. It, 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 folks, it makes a difference. It, it's not just, you know, uh, a, there was a lady that discussed, well, uh, Gawker's policing community, policing communities. No, we're, it, it's community policing. It's, it's building partnerships. Partnerships is what it's all about. Not just with the residents, but with the, you know, the housing authorities or the landlords. It makes a big difference. All right. Well, it's a really uh, great thing, Mike. Anything to add so far uh, about Mike's run? What uh, advice do you offer, Mike? Because you ran for office. Yeah, well, listen, I think he's doing a great job. I think community policing certainly worked in New York City when they tried it. Um, They don't have it anymore, that's for sure. I mean, New York became a total disaster. So I think it's a great concept. I think you want to have those relationships where the cop on the beat kind of knows everybody on the block and knows what's going on and has that kind of intel. 
you know, because it could also be used to prevent disasters before they happen, like like shooters, like uh, like we just saw in Maine. You know, um, where you get a little intel that's going to happen or somebody's about to go off and maybe you can stop it. Totally. Most definitely. Um, but what would you say differentiates you from your competition? You said that he does not. He's he thinks he's law and order and you disagree, Mike, right? Oh, totally, totally disagree. He, he, he's got no history. Number one, he's got no history of community service. Uh, when he was interviewed in the last election cycle by the Sun Sentinel, they asked him how many civic, you know, what civic organization belong to. He said none, none. And of course, now, since then, he went to work for a small municipal department and the chief of police mandated that he join the Rotary. You know, he, he doesn't have a history of community service. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a, uh, a, a history of belonging to organizations that rep, represent his ethnicity. He, he doesn't have, you know, it was just police work. It, it, you know, he didn't serve the community. I mean, I've done things like chairman of the hospital board, chair chairman of a program that works with early childhood, you know, building families and making them successful. That's made a huge difference. Uh, and I've been, I've belonged to the Rotary now for like 30 years. You know, I've been Rotarian of the year. I, I've, I've won uh, awards from other Rotary clubs. Uh, I was uh, presented with the Peace Award for the work that I did in neighborhoods and, and reducing crime and making lives uh you know, building the quality of life for communities. All right. Best now what you need help. The help is probably fundraising, right? That's the challenge to get the word out. Right. So explain oh, yeah. what, how we can get someone that's going to be the best for the community in Palm beach County. What do they, what do people need to do? Well, they can, uh, my, my website, gogger sheriff.com and it's F O R gogger for sheriff. Uh, dot com. Uh, there's a link on there that they can send, uh, you know, uh, make payments and, or donations into my campaign. There, there's also an address on there. If they want to write checks, they can send it to the address that's provided in my website. Uh, and, and let me just circle back one, real quick on, on the mental health aspect that Mike touched on. You, you know, he's absolutely correct. And, and what I had developed uh, with two men, both senior police officers, senior deputy sheriffs, one was a captain status, one was a sergeant. Both of them had MSW degree. They also had, um, uh, were licensed clinical social workers, and they had their PhDs. Well, what we did is we were able to build a program that went out and identified people in the community that were having mental health issues and get them the help that they needed. It was six policemen, six policemen, uh, six social workers. And then those people we followed up with constantly and, and made sure that they were on their medication. They refused. We took them and got ex parte orders and got them into the courts and forced them to go through that. So, uh, and, and then we monitored them, you know, way ahead of time. If, if we look at um, up in Connecticut, when they went to the neighbors of the kid that went into the elementary school and, 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 and shot so many young kids and teachers, when they went to the neighbors, the neighbors said, well, we're not surprised. We just wondered when, 
if one of those neighbors would have called an organization like I had, the sad thing is I went away on a very, uh, I hadn't been on vacation for a while. So I took a cruise uh, out of Japan. I was gone three weeks. Sheriff had replaced those guys who ran that unit and put a SWAT guy with no training whatsoever in charge of that unit. Oh my and he's made it into basically a red flag unit now, but you know, not doing uh, what we did. Okay. Well, thanks again. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing what happens. When is the primary, Mike? Is there a primary before running against the Democrat? Is that the next? When's the when is when are when are when is the election? Is he just dropped? Do you know, Michael? No. Yeah, it's in August. There's a primary in August. I, yeah, yeah. I definitely wanted to ask him about. Um, yeah, Mike. You know, possible terrorism. Now uh, that we've seen, you know, after that terror threat we got, you know, with with uh, with Hamas getting, you know, if Israel goes into and attacks Hamas, but is he off the air? Did he drop? He's back. No, I'm back. Oh, you're back, Mike. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you about the possible terrorism threat that. That was made by the jihadists, if you remember. They, well, uh, they, it's it's there. Yeah, yeah, it's there. I mean, I think we're going to see some horrific stuff in the next couple of months. I mean, these people don't care about dying for the cause. So, in the U.S., you think it's coming to the U.S., Mike? Oh yes, it's coming to the. Where US. should we? Where should we? Where should we not go? And for our national audience out there, if we're going to have terrorism again in the United States, where should we avoid at this point? Well, I think we have to lead our lives. Yeah. We, we can't huddle in our houses like they did during COVID and, and, and just do yeah. away with, you know, stay home and, and, and lock ourselves in our room. We have to, you know, we have to live our lives. You know, with, with they, they have released a lot of the things on uh on concealed carry so you know i i don't go anywhere that that i can't legally without my weapon uh i would never forgive myself if i was not prepared to respond to save lives i my, my wife used to uh, tease me because uh I, I go to church on sunday uh, uh and and i sit in the very back and i've always had a weapon on and she used to make fun of me and said, what, you're in church, you don't need that weapon. And then about a couple of weeks or a month later, somebody walked into a church and started shooting. Me. Yeah. I would yeah. never forgive myself. If I, I, I'm trained, I mean, trained exceptionally well to save lives. And I, I, That's a great question, Mike, to Mike. All right, well, we appreciate it. Again, your website, Mike, one more time so people can donate. It's gogerforsheriff.com, and F-O-R, gogger, F-O-R, sheriff.com. And uh, if, if you look at that website, you'll you'll see my history of, of not only my success in, in the agency, but my success in the community as well. Okay, excellent. MikeVillardiBooks.com, WinningTaxSolutions.com, MikeVillardiShow.com, and more things to come, right, Mike? But you're see, I don't watch the news anymore, Mike. I get the news from the Mike Filardi show. Did not know what's <laughs> happening with Israel. Don't want to know. And I guess I'm gonna find out, but now to say look out. But seriously, for our audience, Mike, uh, do you think 
what areas should we avoid that are really ones that especially maybe going into New York City would not be the best idea right now or going to specific places where there could be a terrorist attack? Well, what do you the, most think? the most common places are places like malls, bowling alley, you know, where people gather. That's what happened with this shooting. He went to a bowling alley, right? People where people are. But like Mike said, if you're in Florida, you need to be carrying. You don't even need a permit anymore. There's no reason for you not to be able to defend yourself because in states like Florida, they'll be least likely to be attacked because shooters are going to know they're going to be met with, with, with a lot more force. If you go to New York City, Chicago, all these other cities and states where the carry laws are ridiculous and it's almost impossible to get a carry permit, you're going to be dealing with defenseless people. And that's where you're going to see most of your attacks where people aren't able to defend themselves. Okay. So always be on alert, guys. That's the other big thing is uh, situational awareness, which I learned when I was working for a security company, helping them at points. We all have to have situational awareness. We have to be looking out for these things. But I had no idea that Hamas is thinking to come to the United States. Oh, boy. Maybe we have to go back to the same thing after 9-11 where we were really investigating people and stuff. Maybe we have to go back to that or else. Look at the open, yeah, look at the open but, borders. I mean. You know, they, they have seized how many hundreds and hundreds of people on a terrorism list that that's the ones that they've caught. What about all the ones that we haven't caught? And, oh, and, and we could see some kind of a joint operation. But, you, you know, we, you, you, one of the things that are very important is, is homeland security and, and developing your intel work, watching the social media sites, watching the behaviors. And, and please, folks, don't ever forget if you see something, say something, call it. Call, call your police department. Make sure that they, they respond to it. If you have suspicions of somebody like, like the 9-11 guys, please call in. They were using you know, satellite phones and right. uh, acting suspicious. Nobody called. If, if oh, they would have called, we might have been able to intercept that and, and, and stop what was 9-11. Well, thanks, Mike. And Mike... Appreciate it, guys. All right, guys, that was the Mike Velarde Show. Guys, take care. Thank you. We're back to the Neil Hayes Show. My guest today is Tracy Poisner of Undeletable Dad and also uh, Bach Flowers Alchemy. How are you, Tracy? And we're on topic today is this big Zoom series you have coming up with Pro Say yeah. Dad. Explain. Yeah, so Pro Say Dad is a Facebook group. It's a secret Facebook group, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm pretty sure that anyone can join. There are many thousands of members. And uh, the moderator of that group uh, teaches dads in particular how to self-represent in family court, which is a really important thing to know about whether or not you, you're you doing it. I think every dad who's going through family court needs to know a little bit, at least the ins and outs of what's going on in court. And there are many, many things that you can do um, that you can do on your own. There are all kinds of windows in the family court process where you can, and I think should represent yourself instead of having a lawyer there for you. It's something that is a, a really important piece of the energetics that you and I have been talking about, the, the energetics of, of fatherhood and of getting yourself energetically into this um, really solid sovereign space. So- And some, uh, some, some of that take place after the divorce is final and you've spent the money for the divorce with the lawyer and now you're dealing with just custody where you kind of sometimes don't allow the attorney to handle it? 
What is your recommendation on that? Oh, I don't think it's a question of allowing or not allowing, but I think that that there are opportunities where you can be the one who shows up in court because maybe just some kind of formalities are happening that you can just report to your lawyer. There aren't any decisions being made. Um, there are lots of opportunities. I, some dads do it on their own, like from beginning to end. I just recorded a podcast episode. Actually, I haven't released it yet uh, with a lawyer here in Canada who does um, what she calls unbundled services. And I think some lawyers in the US call it a limited scope uh, retainer, but you can hire your lawyer to do certain things for you while you do um, other parts of the process. And I just think it's really, really important for every dad, certainly every parent we can say, but I work with dads, so I'll talk about dads, but for every dad to be the director of this process, that to stay in control of your, of your strategy, that you are hiring a lawyer to do legal work for you. You're not hiring them to fix your problem because you don't know what to do. Because that, it just doesn't work out. It doesn't. It's you don't get what story. you're looking for. Why is it you don't get what you're looking for sometimes? And being a pro se is better than having an attorney represent you. Yeah. I And I'm not ever going to say that, like, you know, Tracy says being pro se is better than having an attorney. That's not what I mean. I mean that that if you show up to court, having given all your power over to a lawyer, and you're going to sit beside your lawyer through multiple um, court sessions over years, potentially, without ever even speaking, because there is no opportunity for you to speak, your lawyer speaks for you. That is a very... Um, it's a very low energy thing. That is not an energy that is charged with the kind of charisma that makes people listen to you when you speak. And it, there is no air of command about that, where people just know that you have an expectation for things to, to work in a certain way in your world, that you are the parent of this child or these children. And no one is going to interfere with your parental responsibilities. You're not there kind of begging for someone to respect your rights, you are there asserting that you have responsibilities towards your child. And there is no court in the world that can make you be a less responsible father. That's the, at the end of the day, right? So like, you're not even entertaining someone telling you how, in what ways they, they are going to ask you to be less responsible for your children. That's not a thing, right? So that's a really different energy from you going in and letting a lawyer do all the work for you, all the strategizing, all the speaking to the judge, all the um, examination of witnesses. I mean, there are professional skills that lawyers have. That's what you want to hire them to do. But you don't want to hire them to take over your duty to fix this situation for the future of your children and your family. It is your responsibility to fix this. And a lot of that is going to happen outside of the courtroom. Oh, wow. And that, so that can be done, what, especially with agreements made through email that is agreed upon. And then that agreement is then sent to your attorney so that you really didn't have to do as much. But if it, the agreement was made and you have it as a document, then you just file it with the court. So there's many different ways. There are a lot of, of different things. I, I don't suggest that people negotiate anything over email. That wouldn't be my, I'm not a, I'm not a legal strategist here, but you can hire a legal coach. You don't have to hire a lawyer. You can hire somebody who does legal coaching 
to help you with the strategy. It's, I mean, there is some strategizing that I do with my clients, but again, there are professionals who can coach you on which kind of documents need to be filed or what would be the the best um, approach to take in a certain situation. Often it is about uh, court orders not being respected, right? We often have, you have to file in some way for contempt of court where you have an agreement about the, the custody or the childcare that is not being respected. And lots of people will tell you that the local uh, law enforcement don't like to get involved in those things. So even if you have a court order saying you get so this weekend or this day, you can show up and the kids don't come outside or mom isn't there or whatever happens, the, the local law enforcement are not enthusiastic about enforcing those things. So you do have to use the, the court system again. And again, you don't want to just sort of cry on the doorstep of a lawyer and say, what do I do? What do I do? Like my court, my court agreement is useless. You know, you, you want to be in a position of power to find the most effective route to making this stop so that you know exactly what you're looking for. You know what the best route is and you hire someone to accomplish that for you. And that's the, the key. And then the battles that could occur in that process, what are we going? What are people going to learn at the masterclass? What are you looking? Yeah, to so give them? this isn't this isn't about legal strategy. This is a, a masterclass I'm doing tonight for pro se dad. Uh, that is part of a series on how to communicate with kids who don't want to hear from you. This is the part that happens, you know, outside of the courtroom, where you have to reestablish a solid connection with your children, and very often. Uh, if there's alienation involved, they will say that they don't want to hear from you. Uh, they might not return your phone calls. They might not answer your emails or text messages. So we're going to talk about in tonight's episode, because I break this topic up into issues of tone, content, and timing. And all of those things are important for messaging. So th this series is called Master Your Messaging. And we're we're tonight, we're talking specifically about the tone and this goes back to what we talked about last week or the week before about mindset stuff, right? That you have to be um, in the right energetic space to communicate with your children so that they feel this energetic charisma from you. You can't be starting out with a feeling of, I wonder if they don't really love me or what do I have to say so that they will like me again, you know? You have to be the dad. You are in charge of parenting these children through a very difficult circumstance. So like you take it as your job to say or do whatever is necessary to relieve the tension that the child is under from being in between these, these boring households. You have to say or do whatever it takes to get around the mental conditioning that they're experiencing the brainwashing really about you. So now the, the tone has to be one of knowing that you're going to accomplish this and not requiring anything back from them. So you are just, as a dad, you are giving love, you're giving parenting, you're giving guidance and direction and boundaries, and you're not expecting anything back in the way of like emotional um sustenance for yourself 
even though I can say that I completely appreciate how devastating it is not to have that loving feeling, but you're going for that. But in the meantime, like that's going to be a, a result in the long term. When your kids are feeling better, you will get that again naturally because that is how they feel about you. So we're going to start off talking about tone and then the next ses session will be about content where we'll talk about specifically what are the words, how do you get started, maybe you haven't spoken to your kids in a long time, it feels awkward to get rolling, uh, you know, how do you talk to kids of different ages?